Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. We are continuing our series uh, called Family Without Fear, and really our goal is to help encourage you and to bless you and so that your family, your household, might move into that place of growing and thriving and uh, developing in your relationship with Jesus and your love for one another. And so today I have with me my lovely bride, and so I'm going to ask her to introduce herself to you. And uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Giselle, and um, let's see, we've been married 28 years, and um, we have four children. I think that we have a picture here of our family to show you. Um, the one here behind me, that would have been about 15 years ago, and our oldest daughter, I think, is seven in that picture, and I, we did let them out of boxes every once in a while when we were in that stage of parenting, and then this other picture behind Brian was actually taken this past Christmas season with our four kids, ages 15 to 22 in that picture, and um, just to tell you a little bit about, about myself, I love families. I love being a mom. I have just a real passion for children. I've taught different... Um, places, public school, private school. I've been involved in children's ministry, family ministry, but definitely the highest calling I feel on this side of heaven is to be a wife and a mom. Yeah. So over the course of this uh, series, we have some guiding assumptions or principles that we are sharing with you. And so we want to just review those real quickly. If you've been here for the series, you probably have heard these. But uh, let me just read the first one. It's that there are real reasons to fear, and we want to acknowledge that. But there are a couple of promises, and just share one of those. God does not want us ruled by fear. Uh, a prayer I have written in the back of my Bible is, Lord, help me to be more motivated by love for others than fear for myself. Another promise that God gives us in the midst of our fear is that he has given us a spirit of power and of love from 2 Timothy 1.7. And in our families, we steward ourselves. The only person that um, you can change is yourself. So I guess there's no, you know, elbowing the person <laughs> next to you or poking your kid. Hopefully, yes. you'll find places to grow and apply it to yourself. Yeah. And the last thing is that there's power and courage in community. In other words, we need each other. And I know that in our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, even our parenting. We've grown a lot because of others' investment in us. And so we would just say we can't do this alone. Uh, We need each other in that. So this morning we want to talk to you about our own journey of parenting and our sense of calling really to lead our family in a way that would help our children encounter and follow Jesus. In fact, we're convinced that that's really a primary calling for all of us who would call themselves Christians and parents. That it is our role that God has given us to help our children encounter and follow Jesus. Now I know when I say that, that may bring up some fears or it may bring up lots of questions. And so for us, we had our own sort of fear and our own questions. So, you know, tell us a little bit about our own. Okay, that moment in the bathroom when the little stick has the positive result and (laughs) everything's going to change from that moment on. I remember that day very well. We were living in Illinois at the time. I came out of the bathroom and I said, I made Brian get in the car and take me to the mall and go to a bookstore. And I bought the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And, that was the Bible, by the way, right, for parents. Right, parents and oh, I, I became a what yeah. to expect when you're expecting disciple. I read that book cover to cover. And, you know, through the, those times of 
readying myself to become a mother, I found myself actually growing in worry and fear. I found myself thinking, okay, I have to do this right or my baby is not going to turn out okay. And, you know, it was through that process that over time I actually began to realize that, hey, wait a second, I could be perfect. I could do everything perfect. And yet there could be something wrong with my baby. And that particular realization became, it wasn't fatalistic for me. It was very formative. Just like I couldn't take false credit if everything turned out okay, I could not take false blame if there was a problem. And so my role was to do my part, but ultimately just to let go of control and to trust God. Yeah, so all of these fears, I mean, what if I don't get it right? I mean, what if I don't do it perfectly? Maybe for you, you've been praying for a family member for years. And you're thinking, wow, is it, are things too late? Or maybe you're at an age where your kids are older and they're making choices that are moving apart from God. And you're thinking, wow, what do I do? How do I, can I still be involved in their life? Can I still have a role in helping them know and encounter and follow Jesus? And, you know, I know that we have had lots of experiences and know and understand that, that all families are at different places in their journey. And maybe you're brand new in your walk with Jesus. And you're thinking, wow, I'm not qualified. What do I do? How do I help my family, my household? Or maybe you're alone in your household and you're the only one person of faith. And you're journeying on this, this thing uh, by yourself. There's all kinds of fears. Um, maybe you've made the choices or decisions that have hurt deeply your family. I know that I have, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit out of that. So what do we do then? How can we uh, uh, move forward and still take on that, I think, that role that God has given us to help lead our family? Well, let me just give you a word of encouragement. It comes from 1 John 4.18, and it says there, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I think that, my friends, is something you want to remember. That God ultimately is love, and that He wants to cast out our fear, or our anxiety. That He wants us to trust Him, ultimately. And so, this morning, I love this, this definition of responsibility. Okay, I want to share it with you. I think as parents, we've been given a responsibility by God to lead our families in a way that they can encounter and follow Jesus. Well, we can do that, I think, and learn to lead without fear when we respond to God's ability to lead, love, and complete His work in us first. So this idea of responsibility is really, first and foremost, our response to God's ability, are we willing to respond to what God wants to do in us first? I, I think God wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. And so it's so powerful. So the question becomes, how do we do this? Because we've made a lot of mistakes on this journey, and uh, we've learned a lot. But uh, I think that God's Word can give us some encouragement. So we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to help us this morning. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9 say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I was thinking that an interpretation for us right there might be, write them on sticky notes and hang them up all over your house. Hang these promises on your fridge. Text them to one another. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good to understand the context. Just a, just a word about the context in which this is written. Uh, this is Moses. He's uh, writing these words to God's people. And that whole chapter begins with a command. God says to Moses, look, Moses, I've taught you my ways. You know my ways. Now it's your job to teach my people so that they can teach their children and their children after them. So there's this sort of passing this baton and there's this sort of calling out. And Moses calling to God's people and saying, look, as parents, you can teach God's ways to your children. And the way that he encourages us to do that, he begins with this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's called the Shema. For Jewish people, they would have recited these verses every morning. In fact, it's quoted about 80 times in the New Testament. And it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Let me just say that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In fact, Jesus adds a second thing. To love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things, all the law, all the prophets hang on those two things. To love God and to love each other. If we are to move into this place where we, as parents, can take on that role of helping the next generation encounter and follow Jesus, I'm convinced that it begins with us learning to have an authentic love relationship with God. It begins with us having an authentic love relationship with God. And what does that mean? To model a life of faith. That's what it means. A growing love for God. It begins with us and in us. So let me just share share what loving God is not. Okay? What loving God is not. Having all the right answers. It is not about that. It is not about being perfect for your family or for your kids. It has more to do with this idea of relationship and learning to grow in our relationship with God. It's not about law or this set of rules. In fact, I'm convinced Jesus had his harshest criticism. For who? The Pharisees. For people who kept this set of rules and law. And so as parents, we want to be in relationship. An authentic love relationship with God. And we want to model that for our kids. Now we have the, a good friend of ours who uh, has a great illustration for us. And so you, you want to share that? There was a friend of ours who was attending a talk given by um, Henry Nowen. He's an author. And our friend Rob uh, was there as Henry Nowen was teaching about the prodigal son. And he writes about a, uh, a woman who stood up and asked a question pertaining to parenthood and her child. And this is what Rob writes. The answer that Nowen gave that day to the woman's question, although I don't remember the question exactly, was 
There are a lot of good things that can be said of parenting a child, but the greatest gift you will give your son is the gift of being a growing person yourself. We were all grabbed by his response. He went on to explain that in a community like family, love is communicated more by who you are than by any single situational choice or strategy. He did not ignore this woman's particular concern for her son, but rather gently enlarged her and our perspective. He certainly did not minimize any of those other parenting questions, but in his response, he pointed out the critical importance of recognizing the larger canvas upon which life is lived and love is communicated. As I remember that afternoon, in his words to this mother, the spirit seemed to ask all of us, are you a growing person? That's really the question, isn't it? Are we growing? Are we growing in our love for God and love for others? Are we learning what it means to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength? Parents, I'm convinced it has to begin in us. That's where it begins. It's for us to say, am I a growing person? Am I learning how to love in this context? Now, I'm convinced that the family and family life is a real life laboratory for us to practice this idea of loving God and loving each other. And I, and I know that many times we mess up. I know that I have messed up and I have wounded my family deeply. Uh, there's no question. And maybe you've been wounded too. In my own journey, I was living this sort of double life, a compartmentalized life, and when that got exposed, it deeply wounded uh, my marriage, it deeply wounded my family. I betrayed my family. I betrayed everything that I, that I said I believed in some ways. And yet, we kind of worked our way through that. Talk, talk a little bit about that experience. Talk for about us. not doing it right. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, we had a lot of work to do and all kinds of relational fronts during that time. It was very messy, painful, uncharted territory for us. And um, there was a season where I became and I think Brian too, just paralyzed by this fear of how much we might be hurting our children from all the pain that we are facing. And through that process, we also, though, and it was with the help of others, began to realize that to hide the pain from our family and to be so afraid of sharing would be forfeiting an opportunity to model dependence on God. You know, this is a hard place. Sometimes this world is full of trouble. And our kids will face trouble again. And so in that season, we had the opportunity to share and model trusting God in really hard times. Now, I do say that with a little disclaimer. You know, we're the adults. We're the grown-ups in our home. But I do believe that God will give us discernment in this dance between sharing with our children the hard things of life and sheltering them. But we just want to encourage you to not be afraid of hard times, but use them as a platform to practice trusting God. I think for me, uh, it was critical, um, my response. Was I going to be a growing person at that time? Was I going to learn what I needed to learn to refine my character, to to repair uh, broken relationships in the context of my family? I think there was two critical things that, that were important for me. When, when this was exposed, I chose to walk in the light with those who were closest to me. And I tried to be as honest as I possibly could. And I wanted to demonstrate that over and over again. 
because I knew that that was the only way to build trust, to rebuild trust. The other thing that I think that I did um, that was important in my growth was that I, I, I submitted myself to a group of very close friends, including Giselle, and saying, you know, whatever you need me to do, I will do. And I will walk. Whatever you, wherever you want me to go, I will go. And, and I chose to do that. And I think that, more than anything, demonstrated a willingness on my part to grow and to move back into this place of relationship with God and with my family. And it was critically important at that time. Let me just say this. I'm convinced that family life is hard enough. I don't think you can do it apart from God. I don't think you can do it well apart from God. So are you willing, friends, to begin there? To say, I'm going to be a person who is growing in my relationship with God. I'm going to start this journey, and I'm going to do what I need to do to begin this sort of conversational relationship with God and and move into this place of loving my family in the way that God intends me to love my family. That's what Moses says is the first step. Okay? But then he goes on to say something like this. He says, okay, these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk, walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, I want you to live your life in such a way that you look for opportunities to share with your kids what God is doing, what I am doing, so that they might catch and understand that God, He's real. And He's a part of their life. And He wants to be a part of their life. So... How can we respond and lead as parents? We want to lead our family, I believe, with intentional spontaneity. Now that phrase, intentional spontaneity, actually you came up with that. So tell us a little bit more about that. What, what do you mean by that? The idea of intentional spontaneity, um, first of all, the word intentional, uh, let's just take the idea of exercise. We might believe that exercise is a good idea, but I don't know about you, unless I plan for it and put it in my day, have my things prepared, it just never really happens. And so to be intentional to me as a parent who wants to pass on faith might be to be intentional about planning and learning, reading, growing, asking questions, looking to other families who I want to learn from. Um, we started talking about particular times in the day that we were going to find meaning for morning time, meal time, bedtime, and drive time. And so just to kind of think a little bit about how I might bring some meaningful opportunities to those normal times of day and plan for it. But then that idea, besides being intentional, the idea of spontaneity had to do with just recognizing a moment to share, grabbing the opportunity when it came. And then also for me, uh, intentional spontaneity also meant letting go of something I had planned. So I don't know, you know, sometimes I can ruin a moment because I'm slave to the plan. Just recognizing the moment and thinking, oh, this isn't the right time. And then letting it go and trusting God for the next time to share. I know that I get the spontaneity thing. She, she's the planner, so we complement each other in that. But there are four things, four practices that we want to encourage you with. I think that they, they help kind of flesh out this idea of being intentional and spontaneous at the same time. The first one is this, this idea of caring conversations. What does that mean? Caring conversations, I think, is, is being present, not just physically present, but, but emotionally and sort of actively engaged in conversation in things that really matter. So it's not just about, you know, the Hawkeyes this afternoon or about the weather, but can you have conversation that is meaningful? 
And, and look for moments that happen in the course of your real life. You know, I know that for me, one of the, the really important conversations that was had was, was a moment that happened in, in a totally unexpected time with my grandmother. It, it shaped me. It, there's something that clicked for me. I was actually standing on the yard with my grandmother out, out in a farm. Uh, this was south of Pella and uh, looking at the storm going by. And uh, we were watching this summer storm, and it was one of those fast-moving storms. But, and so we could literally see it go through the, the river bottom. And we watched it go through, and it passed. And then there was this beautiful rainbow that was formed at the other end, sort of as the, the storm passed. And my grandma, I don't know, she's like all of a sudden grabbed me, and she said, Do you see that? I'm like, yeah, it's a rainbow. <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's not a rainbow. That's God's promise. You remember the story of Noah? When God promised that he, with a rainbow, he put a rainbow in the sky saying, look, I'm not going to destroy the earth again. I'm not going to do that. And I promise to do that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've heard that story. And suddenly something clicked for me. It's like my grandma thought this was real. And, and then it became real for me. And so in the course of your everyday life, are you looking for opportunities just to share about things that really matter? Now, we were driving in this morning and out at Grundy County Lake, uh, out by Dyke, I don't know, there was a whole bunch of fishermen. I thought, you are crazy people. There is no way that I want to be out there this morning and fishing. But I thought to myself, what a great place just to sit. And if you are sitting with your son or your daughter or whoever, what a great opportunity to have conversation. That's the idea of these caring conversations. Are you making it a part of your life? Anything you want to add to that? Nope. Okay. Second thing. Devotions. Uh, an opportunity, I think, to take these sort of conversations to a deeper level. It's living out this conversational relationship with God. It's intentional time where we can meet. And oftentimes we would do this or we do this around mealtime. And so that's a, an opportunity for us. And so it's just an opportunity to bring God into that moment and maybe a little passage of Scripture. Speak, speak to that more. So the idea of having devotions, we try to do that together as a family as much as possible, reading Scripture, praying. One thing that we've done is we are signed up for Orchard Hills Daily Scripture. And so at the end of a meal, if we're together, um, we just ask somebody to pull up their device and we read the Daily Scripture and then we just maybe have a tiny little conversation. This does not happen every day, but I just bring it up to show you that it's just very simple, and yet I, we try to do it on a regular basis to bring meaning and just, this is our normal, that we're going to talk about Scripture together as a family. We've also tried to encourage our, our children to have their own time of reading, and so sometimes we'll just ask them, hey, are you reading anything that's meaningful? And don't be fooled to think that we have deep conversations all the time, but we just try. <laughs> We just try to have conversation and just see where it would go. Mm-hmm. And um, I think another thing we've tried to communicate about devotional life to our family is we set aside we set aside time for it, but it's also lived in the context just of all of life, that God is a part of all of our life, not just a little piece of the pie. And when Brian and I were getting ready to teach this morning, I found this notebook that I used to keep by my bed when our kids were really little, and I would write down things um, because I knew I probably would forget. But this idea that God can be part of all of life, mm-hmm. I found a little entry, and so I'm going to share it with you. Winter 1998. 
I was very frustrated with Lydia. She wanted to go play outside, and it was my job to help her get dressed. It was winter time, and it was very snowy. And so in trying to dress her, she was very frustrated. I was very frustrated. Her pants were, quote, bunchy. Her socks were lumpy. Her mittens were, quote, no good. And on and on it went. By the time she was finally dressed, we were both crying, if you can picture this. Um, I was, by the way, pregnant with our third child at this time, too. And so I remember I declared to Lydia, <laughs> let's pray. And I asked God to help us in our frustration. When I said amen, Lydia said, but mom, it's not even dark out. And I said through clenched teeth, we pray whenever we need to. <laughs> Sometimes we need to pray. Yes. So you just bring that into life. And uh, that devotional life is, I think, something that can be modeled. I know that we grew up in a family of faith, uh, and we're very grateful for that. We have generations of, of parents and grandparents who have demonstrated to us faith. One of the things that I remember as a kid, going to mealtime with my grandparents, and every time we got gathered as a family, my grandpa would pull out his Bible, and he'd read something from the Scriptures. And he would basically saying, you know, I'm going to lead in this way. I want us to demonstrate something. And I, this is our family. This is who we are. So whatever way you can do that in your family I think is important. And another thing, another practice you might do is service. So this is the idea that we as a family exist for a larger purpose than ourselves. And, and we want to, and not just ourselves, but not, not just our own activities and our own interests. So we're trying to get outside of ourselves a little bit. So one thing that we have done as a family is we've planned certain times where we can go and serve together. So when we, moved here, not long after we moved here, we decided that we were going to go volunteer as a, as a family down at the Walnut neighborhood. And we told our kids, hey, we want you to block off this day, this Saturday. I know you probably have things you want to do, but we're going to go spend a few hours in, together. And so we did. We went down there and we served together. That was just one example. Uh, another way that we've done that is we've tried to be intentional about even what we stand for. And so we wrote this little mission statement uh, for our family, and it was something that, you know, it was really bad rap uh, yeah. at the time. But anyway, it was something that we tried to do just to kind of create identity for us. And so, I don't know, do you dare read that? Sure. I, I can't read it very well. But anyway, this is a few years ago. We wrote this little rap. We are the Stainhooks, Team JC for Jesus Christ. Wherever we go, people will see. We glorify God with all that we be. We rep in the Trinity, one, two, three, in our home, in the hood, and across the sea. So, and then we uh, just, we have a list of scripture verses that we thought guided us and would give us a purpose, a vision for our family's existence to serve the world. Yeah, and we want to get outside ourselves. The last thing we want to share with you is this idea of ritual and tradition and creating uh, memories. And in fact, I would say that that's what that means. This idea of making memories that create security and belonging and identity as a family. You all have them. Certain things you probably do. I know in this last season, this Christmas season, we have a number of family traditions that we, we often do. And it's so interesting to me. It's our youngest, the big <clears throat> six, six, you know, 15 year old, mm -hmm. who is the most sentimental about some of the things that we do as a family. I mean, getting out Christmas tree and, and decorations, making a gingerbread house together as a family, or doing our gift giving together. We have uh, this gold frankincense and myrrh. We, we give these types of gifts and we have meaning uh, 
associated with it. It helps us in our gift giving. And it's, it's like creating this sense of identity. We're a family together. We want to be a family together. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be very simple. You know, I know uh, lots of different families who do lots of different things, but it's being intentional in those times and saying, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And we want to create this moment. So I know that, um, Jory, actually, you, you brought a poem. Yeah, when our daughter, our daughter, Jory, was in seventh grade, she wrote this poem. And I think it just illustrates the point that rituals and traditions are, doesn't almost matter what you do as much as just creating an identity, as Brian said, as a family, and that we are identifying ourselves as a family who belongs to God. So Jory wrote, where I'm from. I am from long car trips, from my parents' black coffee in the morning, and from ESPN. I'm from the cornfields on my grandparents' farm, with the stalks growing high above my head calling towards heaven. I'm from slow-moving board games, brightly colored scrapbooks, cookie dough ice cream, and the Lake Michigan beaches, from Don't Be All or Nothing and the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm from Sunday school, church plants, and Do Your Devos, from soft teddy bears and talkative family dinners. I'm from wet kisses, warm hugs, and years of love. Yeah, I just think uh, you want to create those opportunities where your family can have that sense of belonging and sense of identity. I want to just share this. We're all on a journey. Certainly we're on a journey. I know that I have caused pain to my own children and to my wife. I know that we do that in the context of family life oftentimes. We've done things imperfectly. But I still believe God has called us to this place of leading our family. Leading first in a growing relationship with God. And then helping my kids and, and my, my household, my extended family, even to know this is who we are. This is where we belong. We belong to Jesus. Now I know that God is always at work. And I believe that God wants us to join Him in what He's doing. He's at work in you. He's at work in your prodigal. He's at work in your family. I know this. And he is a, wants to do a good work. Let me just close with this word from Philippians 1, verse 6. This promise. That he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? This good work that God started in you, he wants to complete and he will complete. He will continue to be active and involved and walking alongside. And all we need to do is come and surrender first to Him and allow Him to lead us and guide us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that You want to do a good work in us. That You want to do a good work in our families in the context of our relationships, our most important relationships, our children, our spouses, our extended brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, Lord. Help us to see your work in us. Help us to begin to believe that you have a plan for us and for our family, maybe for our marriages, whatever it is, Lord. Lord, I know that many of us uh, face hard circumstances. And so I pray by your Spirit you would guide us, you would lead us, you would be present in the very midst of all that we're facing. Lord, give us confidence that you are there for us, I pray. 
In Jesus' precious name, amen.